All right, we're in James. Stop talking, read your notes. We're in James chapter two. We made it all the way through chapter one, and now we're into chapter two. We are moving. I, some of you are just waiting to get through James, period. Like, just can we be done with James? Because my teeth hurt. He's just kicking me again and again. No, James, James offers very practical advice on how to be a disciple. And that's what we want to do, right? We want to be disciples of Jesus. We don't want to be um, casual Christians that, that, that wear a label and our life bears no resemblance to the one we say we follow. We want to look like Jesus. We want to act like him. And James was Jesus' half-brother, and he's writing this to all the believers that have scattered around the known world um, there after the persecution in Jerusalem. And he's just giving them practical advice. This book has been compared to the Proverbs of the New Testament. And so it's really good, solid stuff where we can go, okay, this is, this is how I build my life. This is how I act. This is what we do. This is what we don't do, right? All right, so chapter two, verse one. If you have your Bibles, get those open. If you have your phones, get those apps going. If it starts reading in Genesis, hit the volume button really quick and turn that off because that's happened. We've all heard the political discussions about equality, fairness, and equity in employment, as far as wages go, um, opportunities. These are some hot-button phrases in our political world right now. And a lot of different ideas on how we ought to approach that. Politicians can often say things disingenuously in order to get people to like them, but words mean things still. The principles don't change or sway with the public opinion. And in chapter 2 of James, he confronts a problematic habit of treating people differently because of their financial or social positions in life. He makes a case for equitable treatment for the poor man. But the discussion of equity is not only about lifting the poor man up. It is a reality check for our perspective and a challenge to our own human heart. The question is asked, will we follow Jesus's way and treat people like he did? The title of today's message is The Great Equalizer of the gospel, and we're going to begin reading James chapter 2, verse 1, go all the way through 13, verse 13. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool, have you not made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, do not, uh, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? 
but you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to, those, to the one who has shown no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord, we come to your word humbly today to, to be taught and instructed, to learn, uh, to be corrected. Holy Spirit, would you be at work as we hear and receive today? Bring conviction where we need it and encouragement where we need it. We open ourselves to your word. Amen. What is equality? The world's definition... I'm, I'm going to try, I'm going to try not to get too political here, but it's going to lean into some principles that I am deeply convinced of. We, as I said at the beginning, we do hear these words a lot. We hear these words a lot. And discrimination is one of the words that we hear in there with this too. The Bible teaches an equality of opportunity versus an equality of outcome. The opportunity is there for all people to be saved, but not all will choose that salvation. So the world's definition of equality can kind of lead more towards or lean more towards everybody gets the same amount. Everybody is accepted equally. Everybody uh, is treated fairly and on the same level playing field. We draw some of our sense of justice and equity from God's word, and then we go our own way with it. It's the innate knowledge that we are all human, and we feel that we should all get a fair shake. We should all get uh, uh, an opportunity. We should each get the same opportunities, and if we do what's right and make the right decisions, we should be able to achieve what we want. But selfishness eventually kicks in because we're human. And sooner or later, we ultimately make our own decisions based on what's good for me. So we might all have the same opportunity, but I'm really looking for what's best for me. And that means I'm not looking out for what's best for you. I'm looking out for number one, even at the expense of anybody else. Then to make up for this, because of the guilt we feel that some don't do as well as others, we begin the convoluted conversation about equity of outcome. Forgetting about anything that goes into the process. And this says that everyone, regardless of their decisions, regardless of their work ethic, regardless of their choice in a career path, they should all have the same amount and should be equally cared for. Am I, am I pushing any hot buttons here? 
everyone deserves free housing. Everyone has the right to free health care, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to have a range of positions on this. I'm, and and I'm, I'm going to stop politically there, okay? But, but especially in the Western culture, we, we feel entitled. Life has been good. We feel like this is the norm, and therefore, anything less than the norm, I'm being deprived of something. Somebody stop me. All right. <laughs> The world's best version of equality is to say that each person should be judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin or anything else on the outside. Thank you, Martin Luther King Jr., for articulating that so well. That's, but that's, that's the best that it gets on our own. And even that is drawn from the concepts we find in Scripture, in the way that God looks at us. But God's position on equality is a little bit different. A little bit different. You see, we are all equally guilty first. Scripture says that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and we fall short continually of God's glory, that we are sinful and wretched in our own humanness, that our our best efforts are as filthy rags before the Lord. We have that in common, all of us. We are equal in that. That's a great place to start, right? Does that make you feel good? Does that make you feel good about being equal? Romans says we all have sinned and fall short of God's perfect will. He deserves better than we are capable of giving him. And so we find ourselves on common ground there by God's definition. And since all of us are humans and all of us are sinful and miserable wretches, equally so, here we find our first definition of equality. It's all-inclusive. Nobody's left out. Nobody's left out. Come on in, join the club. You're as miserable as I am. But that's only the first part of equality. Because also the requirements for salvation preclude no one. All have equal access and equal ability to accept the mercy and the salvation that God offers. Even those that have not necessarily heard from from the lips of another person, which scripture says we ought to be telling other people, but scripture says that, that nobody is without an excuse. Even creation and the way that the world works shows that there is a God and that he loves us. So the things that we could use on the outside to distinguish between people the things that we could use to differentiate and categorize people are limited at best and evil at worst. Things like financial status, as shown by clothing or transportation or housing and lifestyle, what neighborhood one lives in. Are you on the wrong side of the tracks? Personal history Mistakes and choices that have left scars and residual effects like having a child out of wedlock or substance abuse or sexual addiction or divorce or criminal history, etc. These kind of things on the outside, we, we could make 
categories, uh, put people in categories by these things. Ethnic origins, the color of one's skin, or the particulars of one's culture. Disabilities, physical or mental. Age, young or old. These are the human ways of evaluating people. This is how we would naturally think about who we're interacting with. All these are human ways. And James says that these ways are inferior to heaven's ways. All of these things fall flat and are not utilized at all when God looks at a person. When God looks at a person, none of those things that I just listed, none of that registers. None none of it affects how he loves and how he offers himself to that person. Some of us are happy to hear this. Because we have plenty of those obvious things that God has forgiven and shown mercy to. You listen to that list and you say to yourself, yeesh, boy, am I glad that God doesn't use these things to define me or to evaluate who I am. We are deeply encouraged and reminded of God's love in Jesus Christ. Others may not be as excited about this because we have relied on the benefits of those human ways of measuring outcome, right? Some of us have made really good decisions and, and benefited from those and therefore have some of these human status symbols and fall into certain categories in the human way of thinking where we're, we're doing pretty good. And so to, to hear that that doesn't really matter might not be as encouraging, which is partly why Jesus says how hard it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because they're going to have to give up their reliance on those things. You might have gotten extra comfort and ease because you've avoided the bigger mistakes and those bigger scars on your life. The natural consequences of these things are there in our life on a daily basis and they remind us of our failings. So, without some of those external things, we can feel pretty good about ourselves. But we're talking about equality of opportunity, not equality of outcome, correct? A person must choose that mercy that God offers, whether you're rich or poor or whatever category you may find yourself in, you still have to choose the mercy that God offers. At the end of that passage in James, he says, um, I'm going to look at it so I say it right. Um, Judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over justice. You're right, judgment, not justice. Different things. So I get from moving my screen while reading it. Now I got to find my place. Yeah, judgment, right? As believers and disciples, the main point of what James is saying here is we need to treat all people with equality. We are to value the poor and the homeless and the disabled as much as we value the one driving in in a Ferrari and living a healthy, happy life in a mansion on the hill. There's nothing wrong with having those things, but 
those things do not merit special treatment in God's way of thinking. So therefore should not merit special treatment in God's house or by God's people. The rich and the poor alike should sense God's love and mercy through his people. That's what James is saying. If we treat people differently based on these things, James is very clear, you're in the wrong and you'll be judged for it. So don't do that. Basically, that's, don't, stop it, stop it. I have, now again, there, there's nothing wrong with having things and, and being in that position. Um, a friend of mine, I don't see him here today. He, when he drives in, you know it because he drives in in a yellow Corvette. Hi, Len. <laughs> and I don't hold it against Len that he drives a yellow Corvette. I might get a little bit jealous. But what James is talking to here is if somebody comes in in a yellow Corvette and I pay special attention to them and I make sure they have the best seat and, and make sure that they get all the attention that I feel like they deserve, at the same time ignoring somebody else who came in on foot or drove in in an in a 81 Honda Civic hatchback, I say that because that was one of my cars. <laughs> you remember that one? Yeah. I have stories about that car, and I only owned it for like six months, but I did put a $50 muffler on it. Yeah. I, I was like, man, this thing's loud. Like, it must need, and I looked underneath, and there was no muffler. So we put a cherry bomb on it. That's what we did. We put a little, little red muffler. I use coat hangers to hold it on. That was a fun rabbit trail. Okay, we're back. <laughs> we could talk about cars. The 81 Honda Civic hatchback and a Corvette coming in ought to receive, or the drivers of those cars ought to receive the same treatment, which is all good, right? It's not like you're treating the rich man bad. It's just that there's not anything else other than the mercy and the love of God for all people. So how do we treat people correctly? It's always tempting to treat those with nice things in a special way. It's natural because we like nice things. And to give that attention to the rich person at the expense of one who doesn't have the nice things, that's what James says is a sin. James says in verse 8 that we are to live according to what Jesus said in his summation of all the law and the prophets, namely, love your neighbor as yourself. You remember that passage in Matthew 22 where uh, they're testing Jesus, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And he says the first and greatest commandment is what's called the Shema in, in the Torah is, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And then you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it, Jesus says, and that is love your neighbor as yourself. And that comes out of Leviticus. And it's a whole, whole other story around that. But Jesus said, these are the two great commandments. And in these two commandments, loving God and loving people, all of the law and all of the prophets, all the writings, it's summed up in these two things. That's the heart of everything. So James quotes Jesus, who's quoting the Old Testament, saying, love your neighbor as yourself. We are not to allow the world's definitions 
and the, uh, of status and wealth influence our treatment of people. Otherwise, we will get mistreated by the very ones that we, that we give preferential treatment to. He says, aren't, aren't the rich ones the, the, the ones that don't even like Jesus? And, and they're the ones, and in this case, who he's talking to, they're the ones that take advantage of you? They're the ones that, that will get in and then and take financial advantage or social advantage or um, not return the favor that you have pour, uh, put on them. You waste your favor and your goodwill on those who will misuse it. And he does say they don't even like Jesus. They, they blaspheme the name by which you're called. Like, come on, just because they got nice things, you're going to treat them that way. But we also run the risk of mistreating the ones whom God has chosen as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said that the, the least of these will be the greatest in heaven, in the kingdom of heaven. James says here that, that the, God has chosen the poor as heirs of the kingdom that is coming. So you can mistreat the ones who will, who will be the rulers in the end. And that, that's kind of dicey. I wouldn't do that. So James says, be careful. Don't do that. Now, James is not saying, and I am not saying, that we should look down on those with money or despise them or treat them as any less than anyone else because that would be discrimination in the other direction. And this whole, the whole point of this is to get rid of discrimination in that sense and get rid of inequality in that sense. When we allow favoritism and discrimination to have a place in our behavior, we go astray from the king's laws. James refers to the royal law, the law of the king, the values of the kingdom. This is the way that God wants, and this is the way he thinks and works, and it's the way that he wants his church to think and work. If we fail to show mercy, which is defined as kindness and goodwill with the intent and desire to help the downtrodden. Mercy can be defined as kindness and goodwill with the intent and desire to help the downtrodden. If we fail to show that mercy to those who come here or to those we come across in our lives, then we risk facing judgment. Why is this, why is the judgment so severe for not showing mercy? What if I have done most things right in my life? What if I've avoided all the big sins? What if I'm pretty good? In Matthew 18, Jesus tells a parable. He says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle with them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. A talent might be as much as 15 years wages. A talent. This man owed a lot of money. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded that he be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment, um, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me and I will, <laughs> I will repay you everything. Right. Like, 
Okay. And the Lord of that, I want to know how he got in that position in the first place. Like, I'm just, who gave you the... <laughs> and the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him that debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. A denarii is about a day's wage. And he seized him and began to choke him. <laughs> and saying, pay back what you owe me. So this fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me, I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he could pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported it to their Lord, all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? albeit the scale is slightly different. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed. So he's going to be there till he dies. Jesus says, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Jesus is talking in the context of Peter saying, how many times should I forgive? But it gives us a, a glimpse at how God views mercy. And we can imagine ourselves in that place of the man who owes 10,000 talents, of course. There is no shot at you repaying your debt, right? Ima imagine, uh, we like to compare each other, right? Like, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, and, and I haven't done any of this. And imagine, imagine you and so-and-so standing on the banks, on the shores of the Pacific Ocean, and you are to get to Hawaii. Yeah, west is that way, right? So you're to get to Hawaii. Now, what are the chances that you can jump to Hawaii? Right? Okay. Now, if that would be righteousness, righteousness is you arriving in Hawaii, and your means is how far you can jump, it really doesn't matter how far you can jump. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, if the person who's done, who's done way worse things than you is standing next to you. Neither one of you are anywhere near righteous enough. And that scope, that scale of things where we, we think that we're better than anybody else or, or that the mercy that we've received from God is, is less than, than what somebody else would need. It's just, it, there, you can't go there. You can't make that comparison. But we, we find a way in our, in our own human thinking to try that. We are to give the same mercy that we have received from the Father through Jesus Christ, we are to offer that same mercy to others. And not just the people we like, we're to offer it to all others. Not just the people we want to be like them and we want to have stuff like them. Nope, we're to offer it to everybody. And if we don't offer it to everybody, if we don't give that same mercy that we've been given, then there is judgment. Super clear. Usually, the Bible doesn't really come out and say, you're going to be judged. 
This is one of those moments where, where God is very serious about this. Because if you can't offer it to somebody else, that means you don't know what it is that you've received. Your concept of what you have received is severely lacking. But when we can give it to other people, we begin to understand it. It is that serious. And that's why James is reminding us about this important principle. Remember that these are disciples James is talking to. These are believers. These are ones that have heard the teachings of Jesus. If not from Jesus, then by his, um, his apostles. And they've been taught. They know these things. They know it. But we need to be reminded again and again and again because we still have that human nature that we're, we're fighting with. You gotta be reminded of the principles. You gotta be reminded of the mercy you've received. You gotta remi be reminded that everybody is on equal ground before the cross. We are all equally sinful and wretched without his mercy, and yet we all have access to that mercy if we will receive it. We all deserved death, but we can all have grace and life. Therefore, treat other people as if you understand this. Now, you may say to me, uh, Pastor Jonathan, I think I treat people pretty well. And I don't really show preference to people. And you may be right as far as you are aware. I'll say that again. You may be right as far as you are aware. But as we talked about last week, self-awareness is not really our strong suit as humans. But James was also writing to people who thought this. They probably thought they were doing okay. But we're all guilty of forgetting that we should observe the law of liberty. The law of liberty, which we have through mercy. In our human nature, we'll slide back into the world's standards and norms because that's what surrounds us and that's what we hear and see. But James says, don't do it. Don't do that. Stay vigilant. Treat people right. Remember the mercy that you've received. It matters more than you think. The way of the disciple of Jesus is to strive to treat people like Jesus did. As disciples, we want to be like Jesus. We want to talk like Jesus talked. We want to do the things he did. We want to treat people and see people like Jesus did. So we follow his, his example. And we remember that everyone is equally evil, <laughs> unrighteous and broken, but even more so equally loved and cared for by our Father in heaven. We're going to begin to pre uh, prepare for communion today. Um, you at home watching online, get your elements ready. The Lord is not picky on what those elements look like. I'm just saying, we're gonna, it's about your heart and his. And Seth, I'll have you come up and play. Like I did last week, I put, a, I, in my study, I put a paraphrase together. And so I'm going to read that and then we'll move into communion. Think about how the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you in this time. 
James says, family, you have, been sa- you have saving faith and mercy in Jesus. And you have given your life to him and surrender, but you are still no better than anyone else. Also, all who come are equal in the kingdom's perspective. You may show preference to someone because they are dressed better or drive an expensive car and apparently have more money and you treat them better than the person who appears not to have as much. Go ahead and pass the elements. And you might treat them better than the person who appears not to have as much in the way of material resources. But if you do, then you are acting in a discriminatory way and you are motivated by base and corrupt desires. You see, God thinks differently than we do about what distinguishes us. And if money has anything to do with it, it's the opposite of what the world would think. The poor will inherit the princely places in the kingdom. And if you treat people with natural discrimination, you dishonor the one who will be a ruler. And by showing favoritism to the rich, you are befriending the one who is likely not going to return the favor. Besides, aren't these wealthy people the ones that you treat so Uh, who treat you so badly and take advantage of you for their own gain, they don't even like Jesus. If you are living by the king's law, the law of the kingdom, the values of the kingdom, you will love each person that comes into your church or that comes into contact with you. You will love them. You will look for their interest as much as your own. But if you ignore this kingdom principle and insist on treating people with discrimination and evaluating them by human standards, you are actually violating God's law and you will be held accountable. You might think you are okay ignoring this one point of God's law, but you'd be wrong. If you are not perfect, then you're guilty as if you have ignored the whole thing. There are no loopholes. But more powerful than the law and its consequences is the kindness and the goodwill of God which he has given to us. You should speak and act like God has given you incredible mercy for your mistakes. And you should try and live by his values. You should try and live those values out of gratitude and love. You should show kindness and goodwill to others who are downtrodden and even strive to help them because it's a core value of the kingdom. And where mercy is absent, judgment is severe. There's a lot of conviction in the words of James. And so we come to the Lord's table to remember what he has done, but also to allow him to wash us and cleanse us and change our hearts again. We come to the Lord's table to celebrate communion together. It offers us a chance to remember what Jesus has done for us in providing a way for mercy instead of judgment that we deserve.
Paul says in 1 Corinthians, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. His body, which this bread symbolizes, is for you. It's given as a substitute so that the righteous judgment of God would fall on him instead of you. Satisfying divine justice. There's that word. That's the one I was looking for. Your punishment has been absorbed and erased in his body. Let's take the bread together. His blood provides a new covenant. Jesus said that this is the the cup of the covenant. A covenant is a way by which you relate to somebody. This is our new covenant, the new way which we relate to the Father. To be in relationship with him without fear of judgment, like we were always designed to do, we are forgiven, we are washed clean, and our sins are gone as part of this new covenant. So we take the cup together. Lord, we are so grateful for you and for what you have done for us. We're so grateful for providing a way for you for us to be in relationship with you. Jesus, we're so grateful that you gave yourself on the cross on our behalf. You didn't have to, but you did it because you loved us and you loved the Father. Lord, show us more and more of your mercy. Help us to understand it even better. Let us see and understand what you have done for us so that we, having that in our hearts, so that we can treat other people right. So that we can love and show mercy to the people around us. So that we can show them mercy as we have been shown mercy, the kindness and the goodwill and the willingness to help and restore the downtrodden. In Jesus' name, amen.